We uh, there's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. You'll find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the 28th episode of the Third Sub Podcast. And we're back ready to talk some Vancouver Whitecaps football this week. But, you know, just before we dive into anything too much, uh, you know, it's always important to drop some some news nuggets before we before we start, obviously, with this week with the Canada national team announcement. And by the time you may be listening to this. The CPL will have made the announcement. If you are fans of, you know, those, the Canada men's national team or the Canadian Premier League, fret not. We will have can, can PL specific and can MNT specific episodes sometime over the next, you know, week or two. So don't, if you know, don't be discouraged about that. Even though we do have the white caps colors on our logo, we are a Canadian soccer podcast at times but before you know back to the to the white caps i'm your co-host alexander gungi ruzik i'm here as usual with samuel rowan we're, we're riding just us two today kind of you know as we kind of dive into to what happened versus sporting kc so i guess yeah sam how's it how's it going this week yeah things are going pretty well i've had a couple days now to digest the the white caps loss and i think it you know it continues to feel kind of bittersweet because there was, you know, a lot of things that kind of carried over from that Chicago match that were pretty positive, but at the same time, it wasn't, you know, the most attractive football on earth. And at the end of the day, they do bow out of the tournament. But uh, yeah, things are things are moving quickly here now. The Whitecaps out, but there's still some MLS's back action. You've got CPL news on the horizon, and this one, this time, it really does seem legitimate. For real. Yeah, not Real. just not just the threat of news, but it seems like something's really going to happen here. And then obviously men's national team stuff really kicking off in the news the last couple of days. So um, yeah, lots to talk about, and and we're really going to dive into the match specifically here on this episode before we dive into some other topics later on. Yeah, and and do a nice post mortem of the tournament itself because I do think we want to maybe take a step back and explore the tournament, give out some MVPs, you know, like just you know talk about the tournament itself but i feel like this game with kansas like specifically i feel like we all aged like a good year or so in that 90 so minutes of play just watching our young guy thomas hassall just get you know absolutely pummeled by the kansas attack and alan polito the 10 million striker you couldn't help but you know you know stress for him as a you know as an observer you know it was just a crazy game and i feel like it's it's going to be fun to dive into so i guess kind of Without further ado, I've kind of looked at our notes here. And, I've, you know, to be fair, I've kept the notes from the, the Chicago Fire game, at least the basis. But kind of the first point we have is, like, WTF just happened. And I kind of just, Sam, what the, what the hell happened in that game? Like, what, what happened? Well, it, it, it's, it's very strange, right? Because, and I wrote this, a shameless plug, I wrote this in my post-match piece. Oddly enough for the Whitecaps in this tournament, losing Max Cropo, and I know you alluded to this from a statistical perspective, but I'm kind of alluding to this from just a motivational or I don't know what, just, you know, 
holistic perspective, losing Max Cropo was almost the kick in the pants that the Whitecaps needed because defensively they were a completely different team after that injury. And as much as Thomas Azal was absolutely brilliant, and obviously you can't take anything away from him, but the, the defense also played significantly better and you know, still allowed some high-quality chances, but they weren't just those dead-to-rights absolute sitters that you know we saw given away a couple times in the first couple matches. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really tough one to evaluate, and I've seen so much mixed opinion online where some people go – this was a positive step. And when the Whitecaps get a couple of their key players back, there's a format for success here. And I think the, the realistic, optimistic expectation for whatever is left of the regular season is that the Whitecaps could be a competitive middle-of-the-table team. I think that would be a, a relative, you know, a pretty resounding success if they could be in that sort of tier for the rest of the year. And then you hear other people saying, this team is, you know, half a roster away from having the kind of the kind of team they need. And that, you know, sitting back, bunkering, seeding chance after chance is not an attractive or consistent way to play, and that you can dress it up all you like, but it's the in air quotes, same old white caps. And uh so there's that kind of back and forth and you know, really only time will tell which of those is, is truthful. But I'm I'm at least somewhat optimistic that there's you know, there was some great growth that took place amongst the young players, not just Thomas Asal, but Theo Bear, Ryan Raposo. And, you know, I think we even saw some of the veterans like Russell Tybert and Jake Norwinski really show what they have to offer in the last two matches. And so I think, you know, my overall feeling is things could have gone better, things could have gone worse, but I'm, I'm feeling a little more positive, certainly, than I did after the first two matches. Well, I mean, we talk about Thomas Hassall. One thing I do want to highlight, and I feel like it's very important to highlight, is the play of Derek Cornelius because yeah. we've made a lot of hot takes on this podcast. We've made a lot of good takes. We've made a lot of bad takes. But I don't think there's anything we've been more consistent with than our praise for Derek Cornelius. And I feel so vindicated watching him play and keep a clean sheet in all of his minutes and just look like a general all-star out there. So, you know, shout out to Derek Cornelius. He was really... He was, a, he was a really solid player, and he was kind of one of the many young Canadians that really stood mm-hmm. out if you want to talk about, you know, positive development. Well, because Derek, Derek's still only 22, right? I think it's easy to... Barely 22. E- easy to forget that sometimes. And, and you have to say that uh, Ranko Vasilinovich looked mm-hmm. like a bit of a different player with Derek alongside him as well. And so, yeah, we definitely can't, can't just gloss over that. Mm-hmm. It's worth, worth noting. That is very, very much worth noting, but you, you move elsewhere in the pitch and I feel like it, it was really a tale of two tournaments almost. And it was like, it's too bad for Max Crepeau that his injury was kind of the turning point for the Whitecaps, but for whatever reason, the Whitecaps were just so complacent in their defensive effort. And you could tell it on the, why there was this just absolute combobulation of boneheaded defensive errors on the first seven goals that they conceded. Well, the only seven goals they really conceded all tournament. And it was just like, I guess maybe we can chalk it up to the preseason. Like the fact that these games were technically their first matches that weren't intra-squad scrimmages. And for whatever reason, their brains just weren't used to adapting at a high speed. But for whatever reason, throwing in Thomas Hassall just clicked a switch in the defenders. And I did kind of like semi-predict it in the 
in, in my pregame for Chicago, I kind of put Thomas Hassall as my player to watch because on every pregame I put a player to watch. And obviously it was pretty obvious to picking Thomas Hassall. And one thing I wrote, it was, okay, this is kind of where we're going to learn a lot about the Whitecaps defenders because in the first two games they were, you know, they weren't really, it didn't feel like they were sacrificing much. Obviously I think of that Jake Nowinski block early against Seattle, but besides that there weren't many moments where you're like, wow, this, you know, the Whitecaps really put themselves on the line. You think of Jaster Kimmer getting, you know, basically climbed all over, like he was carrying a carpet on his back or something. And then you look at, you know, on that Elena's goal against San Jose, or you look at just, you know, all these sorts of mind, mind, mind numb defensive errors. And then as soon as Thomas Sassal came in and Derek Cornelius, like, it felt like the effort felt up. It felt like they liked defending again, just watching Derek Cornelius clear ball after ball. Jake Nerwinski put in tackle after tackle. Ranko, you know, just went header after. It, it just felt more motivated. And I'm just, I think if you're a Whitecaps, you know, observer from these past two games, I think the one thing that you can't fault those, those past two games was the effort. Yeah, and I, and I think the sort of build off that as we move up the pitch, the Whitecaps midfield, although they, you know, continued to struggle even with short passing. I mean, we saw that against SKC, especially in the first half, just basic passes going amiss. But Russell Tybert, Leonard Wusu did a really, really good job in absorbing a lot of pressure and providing some assistance for that Whitecaps defensive line that we maybe didn't see in the first two matches like it felt like especially against san jose mm-hmm. it was like a knife through butter right that just clean like, through and yeah. at least the whitecaps provided some resistance through the midfield and you know i think they're uh, we talked about this pre-show but a guy like yanni obakel really has the opportunity to release a couple of those guys in the midfield to play their natural position and and, and no one's saying that that's going to make the Whitecaps midfield, you know, in the top tier of the league, but it certainly but certainly a lot better gives them a stylistic and you know tactical advantage that they've been missing out on this tournament. And so I think it can't, you know, we rag a lot in the midfield, not only ourselves but a lot of people in Vancouver. And you have to recognize that part of the reason that the Whitecaps didn't concede for 120 plus minutes in those last two matches is because of the tireless work that a lot of those guys put in. Yeah, no, and especially Russell Tybert. I mean, he's an interesting one. I think in the Whitecaps' best 11 right now, he doesn't start. And I feel, you know, you feel bad for him because you want to put him on the pitch. And he's like, he is the captain of the club kind of unofficially. It wasn't no, you know, smart for, for you know, call it smart. There wasn't this whole, like, last year when it was Yannarisa, it was a captain. It was this huge, basically Did putting unnecessary pressure. Well. It just put unnecessary pressure on already a player that was going through, you know, a lot of stuff. So it was like, at least everyone knows that Tybert's the captain. So you didn't need to do that anyways. And I feel bad that he's not in the starting 11, just like in the best lineup, just because you want him to succeed. But at the same time, you know, he'll always be there there off the bench as a starter. And it's moments like these where you really appreciate him when the depth is depleted or in the Canadian championship. But it does worry me that how much, how many reps Bikel was getting at a right back and how much, how many reps Owusu was getting as a six. Cause you know, Bikel's a right back. Yes. And, and Owusu can play the six. Yes. But it just feels like you're to quote Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you're driving Ferraris as Fiat's. And obviously I think it's more like Ferraris, like 
maybe BMWs, like, you know, they're still driving them really well, but you're not driving them to their full potential, at least in this Whitecaps team. And I feel like, you know, you look at Nerwinski's performance at right back, you don't have to put Bikel there. You just don't, it's so, un, like, I feel like Nerwinski is not the problem right now at right back. Whereas, you know, you put Bikel in the six and I, I like to use, I kind of coin, I'd like to say I coined this term, the destroy and progress number six, you know, the Whitecaps, they didn't have that last year. And I mean, that's fine. I mean, Yana Rise was a good idea in theory, but in practice, they didn't surround him with, you know, he needed, like, I'm, I'm, I think of someone like Arise, he needed like a Victor Wanyama beside him, someone who could really take the load off his defensive work. He needed, a, you know, a true number eight. And I'm just, Inbam Huang and, you know, Russell Tybert or Andy Rose, I don't think that was it for, you know, Yana Rise. And I think we could do a whole podcast on why Yana Rise failed as a number six. And I think if Inbam Huang is going to be in your midfield, he needs a destroy and progress number six who can destroy but also get him the ball. And looking at Yaniel Bikel's stats when he was in, you know, in, in CSK, Sophia, he can tackle. He can get the ball forward. And Awusu can do that. He can do the get the ball forward. And boy, is Awusu ever good at getting the ball forward. But, you know, it just feels like he's miscast in that number six. He doesn't have that bite like Bikel, where it feels like Bikel is going to rip someone's like, legs off. And, like, oh, you know, I just – I like the, the Bikel's tenacity. And I think – we keep calling for it, and I think it just needs to happen whenever it's possible. But Bikelowusu Inbam, I think just, it's a match on so many levels, and we saw what Inbam can do when he's going forward, and we saw what Awusu can do going forward despite being limited def- offensively because he was playing so deep. So, yeah, I just feel like that midfield needs that destroy and progress. But I think, you know, maybe to round off kind of talk of the game, a little bit before going into perf- too much into performances. We will do that kind of as usual on a short, short bit here, but I really like the front, the, you know, the work of the front players. And it's hard to say because they didn't get many shots. I mean, surprisingly the white caps in the last game had what six shots on target, which equaled their whole total to the tournament up to that point. So like fair play to the white caps for that. But like, despite their limited service, I really like the forwards, the white caps have, you know, collected here. Well, yeah, I think it was it was really too bad that David Milinkovic wasn't available because that game certainly could have used him at times. I, you know, I noted on several occasions Theo Bear would get the ball served into him, do a pretty good job holding it up. He'd be looking for options, and you just wouldn't have those runners making the diagonal moves, you know, to, that Theo could play it off to them, and then he could go on a run that just wasn't available. And, uh, but I do think that, yeah, Theo did a pretty good job up top. Um, you know, I've been very hard on Inbaum for a lot of this tournament, but there were in that more advanced position, there were some flashes. We saw the one little roulette and he was darting around the box. Seen that in a while. He took, he took a long shot and he's got that great sort of, he always seems to get a good knuckle on his shots. Like it's always got that dead, dead wobble spins type of thing going on. And so, I was encouraged by those couple signs. I think when you see him dribbling, when you see him taking long shots, he's starting to feel himself a little bit more. And, and I think that's a good match to build off of for Inbaum. And I, I guess the only thing I'll really add to that is that, you know, maybe if, if you were looking to get a victory out of that match, you might need a game-breaking moment from Ali Adnan on the wing. And obviously Peter Vermees, you know, was not born yesterday and he's going to know how to, 
you know, tactically prevent that from happening. And I think we saw Ali Adnan kind of, you know, taken out of the game to, to a large degree. And, and, and I don't know how much of that blame you can really place on Ali, but after, uh-huh. you know, after seeing him change the game a couple times already this tournament, obviously if you're the Whitecaps, you're looking for something like that. But I, but I think well, that that's more down to the X's and O's than individual performances, really. Well, like, let's be honest. I think when I saw the clean sheet, like, Graham Zussi versus Ali Adnan, that was going to be an absolute bloodbath if, <laughs> if Peter Vermees didn't make sure that Kyrie Shelton and, yeah. you know, like kind of whoever the right midfielder was, if I'm not mistaken, because Kinda was on the left, Ili was in the middle, so the right would have been, oh, it's escaping me right now, because it's, it's Gu- Gutierrez is the one that's injured. Is it Espinosa? I was going to say Espinosa. That, that right side. Um, Okay, yeah, so it was Espinoza. Yeah, it was Espinoza and Shelton on the right side. Because all the credit went to get Kinda and Martins and um, the left winger. Why why is my memory so bad right now for the the left winger for SKC? But the left side, I remember tactically their heat map. I think there was something they they sent 50% of their attacks down their left side, which is surprising because Shelton had been really good up on the right wing this tournament. But... Fermis obviously told Shelton and, and Espinoza to, okay, we're going to give Graham Zussi some support because, you know, he easily could have got, gotten put on the spin cycle by Adnan. I think that but was you're the, talking about who was in front of Graham Zussi. Uh, no, on the right was no. Shelton. I'm talking left wing. Well, that was, uh, I don't know if I'm looking at correctly here, but I, I've got through, um, through what I'm looking at that Johnny Russell was on the opposite ring, wing to Shelton. Oh, Does no, that no. seem Russell, right? Russell was the left. No, I remember. No, because he, he was he playing. Cut in. He kept yeah. cutting in off, off you know, Norwinsky's side. So, yeah, it was definitely – it was Johnny Russell. Him and uh, Kinda and, were lights out on yeah. that left side. But on the right they did, side they – did They did a lot of swapping around, to be fair. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of yeah. movement. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I feel like Shelton's performance, for example, he wasn't as good offensively as you expect, but defensively the work he and Espinosa did on Adnan is is huge. And that's kind of a tactical matchup for you. Like there's no like sometimes in a game like that with the you know, your best players being on the wing, it's easier to to snuff them out. And I mean, I guess one reward of SKC being so stingy on the wings was that we saw more of Inbaum because the middle kind of opened up for him and that was a positive development. I guess that's, you know, that's tactics for you. It was, it was a very intriguing tactical matchup and you could kind of tell that Vermees and MDS both really knew each other. Well, do, do you want to hear something? And, and maybe you've already heard this, but this is me seeing this information for the first time and it backs up kind of what I was thinking. Okay. You know, you were talking about, obviously, I think, you know, Ali Adnan one-on-one against Graham Zussi is, is a nightmare, but I thought that, you know, in the system that he was asked to play, Graham Zusi had a phenomenal match overall. Oh, offensively especially, so he was everywhere. 86% passing. Do you want to guess how many key passes he had? Four. And I keep going up. Eight. Seven. Seven. Seven key uh, passes. So the white, I don't even know if the Whitecaps had and seven as six, a team. 16 total long balls, 11 of those accurate which you don't really see that often. And so wow. that kind of, that kind of you know, <laughs> anecdotally, I was just going to wow. say, oh, I thought Zussi had a pretty decent match. But then I pull up those stats and I, I feel pretty, well, that's, pretty affirmed by that eye test. So Yeah, well, that's true. Because Zussi had like a good four shots that I remember. Like he, had, he was offensively, he was good. And I think that's why he's a right back for SKC because he used to be a winger and they, they kind of want that, you know, that push from deep. 
you know, he's kind of the, the, the opposite of Ali Adnan, but you know, for whatever reason, SKC was like, okay, Graham, you got to run forward. You got to go do what you want and we'll cover for you. And for whatever reason, like hat tip to Peter Vermees for that. It seemed to work. It worked, you know, magically. And I guess, Kind of now, we're, I guess we're, we're kind of in our performance dissection. I feel like now it's kind of overlapped. We kind of talked mostly about the Whitecaps performers we, we wanted to talk about. Well, because, but... because really there weren't a ton of, if we just kind of talk about the match generally, there weren't, you know, other than numerous Thomas Hassall saves, there weren't a ton of standout moments over the first 90 minutes. It was more about players and, and how they were sort of playing than any individual you know, or singular turning point, at least the way I kind of viewed the match. Mm -hmm. And that's like, it's hard to say. I mean, you could assess the tactics of the game. And I feel like it was a pretty intriguing chess chess match matchup because the thing with Mark DeSantos that he didn't have in his favor is that I I think everyone in my, heck, if my uncle, even if he didn't watch soccer, he'd know what Mark DeSantos was going to do just because, you know, there wasn't going to be any surprises. There wasn't going to be like, we're going to run out there and like, you know, press to, you know, press until we can't run anymore. Or there's not going to, you know, be like false center backs or anything ridiculous like that. Like I think with Mark DeSantos, he pretty much had 11 guys. You knew who the 11 guys were going to be. And it was just like, I mean, it kind of showed in the fact that he only made one sub and then the other five sub unused subs, like four of them were Academy graduates with each with a performance. Like they haven't, each played more than a game, basically, what I'm trying to say. So, like, you know, it wasn't like you're going to expect them to reinvent the wheel. So the cards are already very much on the table. Yeah. No, it was just like, you know that it has, like, you know, two, uh, an ace and a, a seven if we're going to talk, I guess, poker or something. I don't know. Just like, you know, you had some good cards and maybe a little card, you're like, okay, it's not so great, you know? And it's like, whereas Peter Vermees, he had his full deck. He could pick whatever he wanted. He had, you know, he had his... He had a pair of 12s. Or no, there's no pair of 12. Like a pair of queens or something like that. You want to – I'm an okay poker player, but, you know, you know what I mean. And, you know, he had all these choices, whereas, you know, DeSantis was kind of like, okay, I'm just going to – I mean, his 4-4-1-1 was a very welcome surprise when I saw it pre-match. I was quite excited to see Ali Adnan at left mid, for example. Or, you know, see Inbaum as a camp. See Theo Bear as an out-and-out number nine. And I kind of liked that. But at the same time – his only like big move was rain off the bench. And I'm surprised he didn't bring Raposo in it, but if he did, it would have been Raposo off the bench. So it's like tactically, you know, for the white caps to sit back for 90 minutes and not concede a goal, despite that and still get chances. I thought tactically, like for as much flack as we gave DeSantis at the beginning of the tournament, like yeah, he, I took my he absolutely nailed the tactics of the last two matches, like really could not have put together a better game plan. I think the only thing you can, you can maybe question is why didn't Raposo come on? And I think in that last 10 minutes, honestly, Metcalf could have came on. Yeah. ran his race like after this. And, and in that last 10 minutes, you have to wonder if it's not worth taking a chance or two to try to grab a goal in regulation. Cause like, the thing with the penalty shootout is you could tell the Whitecaps were tired. Those penalties were all telegraphed. There's a reason Milia I mean, guessed I mean, right I on could, all four. On the, on the Derek Cornelius one, and, and you know, we're, no it one, is a, penalty. No one is a bigger fan of Cornelius yeah. than you and I, but I, mean, I, I could have told you pre-shot exactly where he was going to shoot because his oh, whole, his whole yeah, body, body was open was to turned. that side, right? Yeah. And but that's what happens strike, when you've, when you've run when for that long. 
Yeah, and it was a great strike. It's just when your body's that open for a goalie, you guess. You look, just look at Polito's penalty as an example of what happens. Hassal guessed, and Polito's penalty was slow, and he almost got back to it. But it was like, mm-hmm. you have to guess to have a chance when it's pros because they shoot so hard, and 90% of the time it's in the corner. If you don't guess, like, you have no chance. And if Tim Melia is guessing four times out of four, there's a problem. Sometimes you guess right. You, you know, it's luck. maybe you say it's luck. And to be fair to Hassal, he guessed pretty much nearly every time right except Polito, and Polito's penalty was immaculate. Like, you know, it was, it was, an, ex- it was an elite run Normally, I despise those slow run-ups, but, but when it's Polito, it's like, hey, do whatever you want. Yeah, it's like when Martinez does that stupid, like, jump kick penalty. Like, it looks terrible, but, like, he can do it because, you know, he's so good at it, you know? And it's like the other penalties, it was like a goalie should not be guessing four times. Like, even a Wusu, it was, it was guessed. Reyna's was guessed. Dahomey hit the post, but Milia was there. And yeah, I was going to say, one... oddly, like Owusu, who scored, that might have been one of the poorer taken penalties, penalties. of the Whitecaps' yeah. attempt. Like, at least Reyna's was in the low corner. Like, <laughs> Cornelius so, hit it with power. So if we're like, talking about the pens, do we, do we really want to, do we want to get into the shooting order and who was selected at all? Because I'm do... interested, Alex, to see if you had any thoughts. I mean, so I'll just quickly preface by well, saying Inbaum is probably their best take. He should have stayed on. And he, and he wasn't on the pitch. He should have and, stayed on. You know, and, and oddly enough, like uh, KJ, Christian Jack at TSN <laughs> suggested this on Twitter. And I have to actually agree having, you know, Alex, you and I have spent a lot of time after training watching the guys take pens over the last couple of years. And you get to kind of, you know, you get to see a lot of what they have to offer and, Russell Tybert is a very, very good PK taker. And so my, what I tweeted out post-match was that basically, you know, we didn't get to see the fifth shooter, but you had Ali, Theo Bear, and Russell Tybert all available. And the fact that only one of those guys would have had the opportunity, I'm guessing it would have been either Ali or Russell Tybert that went last. And, And so the fact that Theo and then let's say Russell weren't included really surprised me. And uh, well, I don't know. I'll, yeah, I think I'll, uh, I'll say this. So I'll say this not to cut you off, but just sure. with Theo bear, I'll give him the, like, you could tell he had a towel around his neck. And like, mm. I think since he's young and he, he probably had the choice, like, do you feel up to taking that? He might've said no, but yeah, but I'm more surprised. Yeah. About Tybert and Adnan, like you said. It, yeah. It's interesting. And I, I just don't know about, I mean, I mean, it's not like I've had, unfortunately haven't had the opportunity to watch a ton of Dahomey at training just because, you know, COVID and access has been relatively limited this year. Pandemic. But I thought that was, what's that? Oh, no, I know. I didn't. Uh, sorry. I, I'm lagging here. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's all good. But I, I was just going to say, I, I wondered, Alex, what you thought about Dahomey getting trotted out first? Because I, I was a little bit surprised by that. Yeah, well, the thing is, we haven't, like, the thing is, what we're going off of here is what we saw last year when they trained for penalties before the Cavalry game. And you know, basically, when they were... like, uh, my anecdotal knowledge, I saw two, three training sessions before the preseason. That's the last time I've really been out. Mm-hmm. So most live of my action. penalty knowledge, at least, is like before the Cavalry tie example, they trained penalties and we got to see. You know, that's my, so like, half of those guys aren't there anymore. So, like, first of all, that's useless. But, you know, they've obviously trained penalties. If they haven't trained penalties, there's a problem. You should be training penalties. Honestly, like, because the things with penalties, the more you train them when you're tired, the better they are. 
like it's better to train. So it's like, heck, even if you run a two hour session, you can't walk anymore. It's great to just go work on your penalties. So first of all, they should be working on their penalties almost, you know, every session. Like there's a reason guys like Shiroi Mobile, people, you know, roast him in Europe for being a pen merchant. He has freaking 14 penalties for Lazio and he's converted 14. Like that's insane. Like that's why you train your penalties. So yeah, that's a whole other anecdote, but <laughs> you know, like penalties, like, I don't know. Obviously we don't know what's like, who's good and who's not. And I'll certainly give them a pass because of the fatigue thing. Cause it doesn't matter how good you are. If you're that fatigued, clearly like they weren't, you know, they were telegraphed, but you do have to wonder. I mean, the is just so tough. Cause there's something like, you know, if you want to go analytics, there's like a 55% chance of winning if you shoot first, but that chance goes down to like 37 if you miss the first penalty. Mm-hmm. So like you have to score the first one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, there's, I think the old school prevailing theory is that you know you put your best taker last, but you should honestly put your best taker first. I think you know analytics and sort of thinking about it a little more has revealed that it's the first one that's most important because the odds are if you miss the first one, you might not get the last one, and that's kind of what we saw happen with the Whitecaps. Well, I'm pretty sure the analytics approach suggests there's like a huge study, but it was like your best taker has to be first, but then your second best taker has to be like third or something like that. And it's like staggered. And like, honestly, I think we should have seen Ali Adnan first and just like, okay, Ali, don't Panenka. Like if you do that. It's the one rule. It's the one rule. You're not allowed to Panenka. Like Ali, I'm sure you're awesome at Panenkas, but I'm sorry. Just for like, if you want your, the fans not to crucify you, just don't do it. Like miss like, Go up there and send a 90-mile-an-hour kick over the crossbar. Do the, do the J- Jamie Vardy run-up where you just smash it. <laughs> like, miss? If you're going to miss, miss with power. Because I think the fans would absolutely hate you if you missed on yeah. a Panenka. But, like, just send up Ali Adnan. Get him to absolutely blast it into the corner. And then from there, like, then you mix it up. I feel like strategically... Well, it's, it's such an emotional and, like, you know, confidence is so important. And... I think you just saw even on that first pen when Dahomey missed, you see the reaction of the Whitecaps players. And then next, you know, the rest of the guys are going up and you can just tell there there's that sense of like dread Dread, that sense of just let, let this be over with. And I think if you, if you have a guy, especially like Ali, who's a bit of a clown and like, if he could have scored that first penalty and then just lighten the mood a little bit and loosen the players up, I think it could have sent the whole thing in a different direction. And it's, it's hard. I mean, we're sitting here breaking down penalties. It's such an imperfect yeah. science. But at the same time, it feels like you can set yourself up. And, I, and if anything, I'm more disappointed about, obviously, the order. But just the telegraph penalties, just, I don't know. I feel like, you know, we, you can always say the whole, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm good at penalties and, you know, this and that. But if I'm being honest, I, I, I played a lot as a striker. So sometimes I'd take penalties for our team. And I mean, I never missed the penalty, obviously playing MLS versus playing whatever high school soccer is, you know, it's a whole different story, but all my penalties, I never hit them into the corners. I mean, I was always too nervous to, to, to even try, but you know, you, for a goalkeeper, you don't realize how hard it is for them to come up. If you just absolutely give them the jiggles, like freeze their feet, like do all these shoulder fakes. And I know like, I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've, I know that because I've tested the theory when I go out with my goalkeeper friends and we practice penalties. You know, shout out. I know, I know one of them's listening. He knows who he is, former goalkeeper. KG, I'll just say KG, you know, <laughs> just, just, to, just to give him a shout out. But, 
you know, I know when we, when we'd shoot, we'd, we'd practice penalties. I'd always get him with the shoulder fake, you know, with the, the eyes, with the, you know, you don't telegraph. And that, that was kind of tough to see. I think from the penalties, you just, you would have liked like you don't have to put it top bins. I mean, you, you, it is important, but it would have been nice to see just seeing Milia guess right all four times. I think that was probably the toughest thing of the penalties. And again, not, not to slight the caps for the penalties. They deserve to get that far. They should have got better. Heck, it should have been extra time. I don't know why the heck they went straight to penalties. I hate that. But, you know, that, that's just my opinion. M- MLS going to MLS at the end of the day. Yeah, and, MLS going to MLS. I'm, I'm guessing that they're probably citing injury concerns yeah, and, and like, sort of exa- exhaustion for that. Think and to a certain up- extent, I can't, I can't disagree. As much as that doesn't make for, you know, the kind of – dramatic extra time matches we maybe would like to see I can't understand it yeah no I'm not mad and I don't think we should look at the penalties and be like the white caps failed because of their penalties it's just you know it's a, it's you, a tough you, it's a tough way to go out yeah but you just if anything you just want to see more there you just don't want to see them go one for four on the penalties I think it's that you'd rather lose by like you know at least a three-two in the penalty shots, for example, and you know, I, and then again, that Dahomey miss changed the whole tone of the shootout. And like, it's a big what if? What if he doesn't hit the post? And it's just one of those scenarios. But you know, after the game, they had it just didn't feel right. You know, it felt like it just didn't. It felt dirty almost, like to watch them defend with their hearts out so much and just drag it to the penalty shootout, and then to see them flame out so spectacularly in the penalty shootout, it just didn't feel like a befitting result, if that almost Yeah, and, it, and it's tough, I think, I think at the end of 120 minutes, when you have that extra time, you can kind of say, okay, it hasn't been settled, fair enough, we go to penalties. But to have it just go straight to penalties, there's a, a, a bit of a feeling that the conflict is still unresolved. And, you know, that's a, it's a tough way to go out, but at the same time, you, you, you know, you can't make up the rules as you go, and and fair enough. But with that being said, do we want to dive into kind of more of a structured view of the individual performances? And maybe we'll kind of, we can gloss over some of the stuff we've already touched on, but I think there's some guys that we've maybe missed out on or want to touch on specifically. So Alex, I'll, I'll start yeah. it out with you and maybe a word on, on Thomas Assault that we haven't said already. Yeah, I guess maybe we can do a couple of players here. So I'll let you, I'll let you throw some names and I think it'll be, it'll be great. Good segue into our third sub of the game slash like, what the heck happened to the Whitecaps bench. But to go with Thomas Hassall, I just, I love the kid. I love what the kid did, to, you know, in his play. I just can't help but feel proud of, you know, how he performed. And, you know, you just, you can't help but feel proud when academy kids go in and just make a difference like that. And it was, I think that was the prevailing sentiment on Twitter. I mean, they already, everyone had his backs before he came in. I don't think anyone would have, thrown him to the wolves had he conceded 18 goals in three games but just the fact that he did so well even in the penalty shootout it just you can't help but feel good for him and it, he's just a he's a good kid that's the thing you, I just feel like this was a much deserved breakout performance from the Whitecaps as much as Brian Meredith sounds like a great character guy I think maybe you know Hassal should be your number two mostly because you know, backup goalies are, you know, I get the the need for experience because Meredith is what, like one of the only veterans on this Whitecaps team. But at the same time, like if Hassal's ready, throw him in, make, and he's going to push Krepo because Krepo, honestly, that's one thing I was saying. I think, I forget if it was on the podcast or in written form with Zach McMath's departure and Meredith being brought in, 
Meredith, you knew he's a backup. With McMath, everyone thought McMath was a starter. So Crepo fought and won the spot. Whereas now you can kind of see that complacency seep in. And that's not to say Crepo has been bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not the worst thing that for him to have a kid playing. So I, I, you know, pushing him. So I'd say for Hassal, great performance. I like the way he plays. And I think I want to see more of him going forward. Okay. So we've already kind of touched on uh, both the center backs and we also did a little bit on Ali Adnan, but Alex, I wanted to talk with you about Jake Nerwinski and specifically, I kind of wanted to personally address, I feel like there's been, and maybe I'm off base here, but I feel like there's been a good amount of Jake Nerwinski slander for lack of a better term on social media and, and, and in commentary, just kind of it feels like everyone's yearning for that, you know, assist machine that we saw in his rookie year. And he's developed into more of a defensive fullback. And I thought that at least in terms of what I saw, he was one of the standout players of the tournament for the white caps. And I know you can point to that one defensive error and try to base the whole tournament on that. But I, I really don't think that that's a, that's a fair take. And, and I was thoroughly impressed with his defensive work and, and I think, you know, at, at the fullback position, the fact that you're not noticing him too often is, is often a, a good thing. And, and I, was, I was thoroughly impressed. It's tough to say with Jake Nerwinski because he, he does have a strong hate club. And, like, I don't know people, what it people is. People are very divided. They're either riding really hard for Jake or they can't wait to get rid of him. It's, yeah, it's usually it's, one or the other. I think he's, like – the curse maybe of the right back curse of the American player curse of something, but he's like, it's like, you know, it's like the third liner in hockey. It almost, it's like people will ride and die over the third liner. When it's like, you know, if he's playing bad, it's not, it's this furthest from your problems. And when he's playing good, he's the furthest from your problems as well. And it feels like that with Nowinski. I mean, maybe when he plays bad, it has more of an impact than say a third liner in hockey, but like, it feels when he's bad, like, it's not as big of a deal, but at the same time, you don't want to encourage that bad play. And that's why you want to have a backup like Scott Sutter last year, you know, even Daniel Bikel, but when he's good, like he is at this tournament, like you kind of wonder like why, what, where's people like hate with Norwinsky, you know, if you misplace the pass, like if you get mad at him for misplacing a pass, look at, look at everyone's who scored ratings. Is there any ever anyone who has a hundred percent pass percentage? No, like misplaced passes happen. So I don't know for what it is, but Jake is victim of this some sort of complex where people just, you know, either you hate him or you love him. And you know what? I, I think after a tournament like this, I think if we can see more of that from Nerwinski, I think the Whitecaps are going to benefit from it. And I think you need that. I mean, Jake's not exactly old, but he is one of the one of the more experienced seasoned players on the pitch, and I think he provides, you know, that experience and also also a really high level of athleticism. And we saw, for me, like one of the moments of the tournament is that slide tackle against Chicago that absolutely, you know, I think if you've got like no offense to a guy like Gutierrez, but if he's the one sliding in to make that tackle, there's a good chance that he maybe catches some shin and they're pointing to the penalty spot. But Jake's been there before. He has that aggressive nature. And and I think you still need guys like that in the roster and uh, – Yes, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to address that because I feel like there's been there's been a lot of mixed emotions and you know mi- mixed evaluations of Nerwinski's play, but I I'm really glad that he stuck around this season because there was a lot of talk about maybe him parting ways with the club. But 
it's been good to see so far. But with that kind of being said, we can we can move on to the midfield, and I think we've already touched on Owusu. We've already touched on um, Tybert and, and a little bit on Inbaum. But I guess of those three, who kind of stood out to you that, that deserves the most of our attention right now? I feel like Owusu, but he's gotten so much attention, so like maybe not. I feel like Inbaum, you know what I'll say with this about Inbaum, and then this is it, like I'll say it verbatim for now. I feel like at Inbaum last podcast, or was it last one of the last two episodes? It wasn't last one. It was the 26th. We pleaded. We're like, we need to see flashes out of the Inbaum. I don't know. I don't know why we were going on this, but we went on some sort of like plea. We were like, we want Inbaum back. We want roulette Inbaum. We want shoot at, you know, shoot from 40 yards Inbaum. We want slide tackling two foot someone Inbaum. We want passion. And you know what? We, we got some of that. We got some of that. And you know what? There was flashes. And I think we see it every time on tweet. We see that, oh, good from Inbaum. And then there's always a slew of comments like, well, where's more? And you know <laughs> what? You guys, to the people saying that, I agree. I want more. But at the same time. But we can we can be happy that we're seeing flashes. flashes are back. Mm-hmm. If, if the flashes go back down, then we have a problem. But if yeah. the flashes stay there and then they go, start to increase and then they, he starts to take over a game, this is a start. I feel like, you know, we have to, we have to be, you know, positive in the fact that we saw Inbaum again. And after not seeing him for what, it felt like a year, like you can't take that for granted. Yeah, I, I'm mildly encouraged is how I would put it, I think, overall. Like, there's a lot more to come. And I want Inbaum to be like, I want Inbaum to be averaging like five key passes a game, like two successful dribbles, like two shots. Like, you know, I feel like there's so much more to give, but you know what? That's a start. That's a start. Okay. And then lastly, I think we should, uh, you, you kind of dropped a hint about it earlier and I, I touched on it just a little bit, but it was more to do with the overall play of the white caps. Let's talk about Theo bear, because I think that, I was a little surprised to see him get another start. I kind of felt like after Raposo and Bear started up front together and it didn't necessarily go terrifically that maybe that was the last we were going to see of them. But I thought Theo played really well. I mean, Mark DeSantos has pointed out before that sometimes his play and possession and hold up work still you know, needs refinement. And I think we saw that a few times where he kind of ran himself out of space, but for the most part, he performed very admirably up top. And I, I think I was, I was pretty impressed. Honestly, I didn't really see much of that struggle and hold up play that. Well, I think, I think some of it was the lack of support from the mid, like, you know, he'd get the ball and he'd look for options and there weren't options there. And, and so that's like not entirely down to bear himself. Yeah. Cause usually every time I saw him get the ball, he mostly played it to an open player. He made a, I mean, I do think his dribbling gets stifled up top. And I think there's pros and cons to him playing at the nine and him playing at, at the wing. Because I feel like when he's up top, he gets a lot of chances. Like, I feel like he's really good at getting chances. And I think the more he gets, the, old, the older he gets, the more experience, he's going to start finishing them. But I just do like the idea of him on the wing just absolutely wreaking havoc. So, you know... For the number nine role that maybe he isn't suited to, I think he, 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 he's shown a lot of growth there. And I feel like, like for example, I'm curious to see a Lucas Cavallini and a Theo Bear in a front two, for example, because I think their skill sets would really complement each other nice. So 
Cavallini would kind of just hover into the middle anyways, and Bear could kind of shade off wide and kind of operate in free space. So, like, you know, I feel like that would be a really intriguing partnership because I feel like Theo Bear has grown so much as a player. And I think, you know, we see that, like, you know, you could at first, a lot of people, you know, common criticism is, oh, what is he beyond just his size? Because to be fair, the touch wasn't really there yet, his shot, his passing, but he's really turning into a complete striker. He's got a really good touch now. He's, you know, he can make these really good passes and he's got a good shot. So, you know, clearly he's been working on his game and his dribbling is really good. So I just feel like he's showing a lot of completedness as a forward that we hadn't seen from him before. And I think due to his size on top of all that, he offers a unique option up top or on the wing that I feel like DeSantos should use more to his advantage because I don't know. I, as much as you like the play of someone like Dahomey and Milinkovic or even Reyna, I just feel like Bear, obviously, you know, maybe a front three of Bear, Milinkovic, and Cavallini is kind of my preferred front three now. But, like, you know, I feel like Bear should just be – I feel like DeSantos should be not afraid to use Bear more as a sub or as a starter just because having him on the field just destabilizes defenders. And if you take him off – you know, they'll be tired from dealing with them. Or if you bring them off the bench, they'll be not expecting a six foot four, you know, guy just to run at you and dribble you. So I just feel like DeSantos should, uh, yeah, use them more. Yeah, I think if there was any doubt going into this tournament, Theo Bears really demonstrated that he's a reliable option that can be, you know, called on to put in good performances when needed. And hopefully we'll continue to see him use that way as the Whitecaps go forward. Obviously, that's still a big question mark, what exactly that's going to look like. But uh, with that, let's move on to the third sub or lack thereof of the match. And I guess we'll talk a little bit of Jordi Reyna and then a little bit of why there weren't second, third, fourth, or fifth subs. Well, Sam, let's, let's, I'll put you on the spot. Let's give, give me a word here like we like to do. Give me a word for the third, fourth, and fifth sub, so the lack of. Vacant. Okay, that's that's good. I feel like, how do I put this? If this is a word that indicates acceptance of frustration, you know if that makes sense. Resigned. I guess I was. I'm resigned. I think that's my word. Because I I I got to the 82nd, 83rd minute, and I kind of went, well, they're not bringing anyone else on. And it's like I don't know. I can't. I couldn't be like, okay, this is a good decision. But I also couldn't believe this is a bad decision. And that's why, look- I said, that's why I said vacant. Because, yeah, you had players on the bench, but it didn't feel like those spots were really filled. It felt like they've got bodies, but Mark DeSantos does not view a number of those guys as options at the moment. I think mm-hmm. Patrick Metcalf and Ryan Raposo were, were the only ones. Realistically, the only two that were viewed as proper options off the bench. And we saw with Owusu in that first match, it was like, unless he's injured, he's not coming off the pitch. And I do, like, I'm not going to say I agree with the process. To be fair, a lot of my pandering was before I realized that the white caps didn't have to play extra time. And usually I'm on the ball with that stuff. So I apologize for my just complete lack of awareness on that one. And I just completely dropped the ball there. And I was like, get a wusu off the field, you know, like he's going to run his race and I'm happy he stayed on because he, you know, he scored a nice penalty, but at the same time, 
why did Inbom come off if there was no extra time? Because I, I, I was like, okay, that's a good move. I'm a bit questionable, but don't think he's going to make it through extra time. There was no extra time. Why did they just keep him on? Like, I don't know. That just felt a puzzling. But, you know, that aside, I just felt like the Whitecaps definitely – there's some players that, like, I'm sorry, Wusu would just run his race. And I like the play of Wusu, but there was just some moments we were watching and he, he was tracking back and he, was just, he just had no gas. And I feel like someone like a Metcalf just to run around, heck, even a Paseel with his young legs or Simon Goldline, heck, you know, he's got – his 17 minutes of MLS action were so good two years ago. Like, why haven't we seen him since then? Like, just at that point, throw in a body. Heck, even, like, someone on the wing. I don't know. Like, I, I think keeping Theo Barron was good. He was lively. But, you know, maybe Dahomey was starting to fade a bit. Like, just for Raposo. Like, it just felt like the, the, some of the legs really needed juice. And, you know, I, I can't blame DeSantos for not wanting to throw in, like, a 19-year-old making his second-ever MLS appearance as, like, you know, his sub in a huge knockout game. But at the same time, at that point, there was just kind of this line of, like, you see, because I'm, you know, it's a podcast, but just imagine my left hand's going down, and that's, like, Leonard Owusu's fitness level. And, you know, there's this flat line that is, like, you know, someone like Pasil's effectiveness level as a youth player in this kind of environment at a certain point Wusu's line was going to trend under and okay you may as well get that flat line rather than this declining line so that's kind of how I how I felt if that makes sense yeah and and it's just clear that um you know Mark DeSantos made this obvious from that first match of the tournament he only felt comfortable putting young players in in scenarios that he felt they were ready to handle and Obviously, a you know 80th, 85th minute of a incredibly important elimination knockout match was not going to be that moment. And uh, but I, I you know I I don't for a second disagree with you, Alex. That I think there comes a point of diminishing return where you know yes, Owusu's you know ostensibly a better player than most of the guys off the bench, but you know there's a point where his running, his work ethic, his tackling, his passing, his creativeness those all decrease when you're dog tired and you're struggling just in to the Florida heat, go like back midnight. and forth, you know, on the pitch. So, um, yeah, there's, there's obviously a difference in, uh, in opinion there, but, uh, <laughs> I think, I think we were a little more resigned to the fact that we knew what the game plan was going in and, and neither of us were shocked when we saw only one sub take place. And Yori Rena really not a lot to say. I mean, the Whitecaps, okay. the Whitecaps didn't provide, much service there wasn't much forward attacking play so he didn't really have a ton to do but he also didn't create much for himself either i mean, think you know what if we didn't if we agreed with mark DeSantis's substitutions every game we wouldn't have much of a podcast so you know what i think there's some fun in that too for sure so i guess kind of on that note well let's just i guess we can just kind of wrap wrap things up for this episode i think that pretty much hashes out everything that we had to clearly our feelings i'm I'm not going to lie. I didn't expect us to go on like an eight minute rant talking about the, the penalty shootout. So clearly we had some strong feelings there, but I think besides that, we've kind of got most of our feelings off the table. So I don't know any, any, any last, last word here before we, we wrap things up. Well, yeah, I believe that as we, as we're recording, the Whitecaps are back in Vancouver. So beginning their kind of, you know, quarantine reentry process. And now what we're, what we're obviously waiting on is 
what the next steps are going to look like for the white caps, because, you know, there are definitely some, some plans out there and some rumors circulating, but uh, nothing official as of yet. And so it's just kind of a, you know, first of all, uh, make sure everyone's healthy. And, and then second of all, obviously there'll be a return to training at some point, but what exactly the white caps are training for, we, we don't know just yet. So, you know, we'll kind of wait and we'll, we'll be patient there, but we, we've been very blessed with some, some good white caps matches to cover. And hopefully there'll be more of that sometime soon. Yeah. I think that's, that's, you know, honestly, I was more, obviously it's fun when the white caps do well. It's just like white caps, Twitter's fun. You know, this, you, you, you can give credit to some of these players. Like there's, there's some good people on that team. You just feel a lot of these players, you know, there's some good stories. You just can't help, but feel good when they win. And, you know, Obviously, you want him to be KSKC just because of the story, Hassal and Goal, all this. And, heck, even selfishly at this point, it was like it was, it was fun to cover games. You want to cover more. And that's what it was like, you know, it's disappointed to, to, to have them go out like that. But that's soccer for us. So, I guess, yeah, on that note, where, where, can, uh, where can people find your, your blunt and accurate assessments of the Whitecaps in writing form? Well, yeah, I mean, the, I think the accuracy part can be a bit debatable at times, but, you know, but blunt and honest, I think, are two words you could use to describe my writing. So I think that's relatively fair. Yeah, uh, Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at uh, 86forever.com, where we've been doing lots of good stuff. And uh, one of my colleagues, we put out report cards after every match where we grade the individual performances. And we've We've been receiving some scathing critiques lately. So, you know, if you want to get in the comments and just absolutely slate us on our takes, feel free. Honestly, it's it's so fun to talk about individual performances and see how people view the match entirely differently. So if you ever want to dive into that in a way where you can go back and forth with us on 86forever.com, like feel free to hop in the comments. It's Always fun, always welcome. So yeah, a bit of a plug there. And Alex, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, I guess for Twitter, I mean, at Alex Gungeruzic, I mean, picked up some new followers during MLS's back. So if you're one of those new followers, hey, appreciate you joining on. Uh, appreciate having the, the new people that always love talking soccer with people from all over. And if you haven't, you know, joined, joined in, follow, join. We're, we're all, always bantering, Sam and I, everyone else. So always a good time and if not at bts van city on twitter as well and bdsvancity.com where you can find my hopefully as blunt and hopefully sometimes accurate takes on on the white caps and canada and cpl honestly anything that kind of comes to mind i don't mind throwing my thoughts onto a onto a paper and making it look semi-coherent and able to read but you know on that note i think uh Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for the the love and support on the podcast. Again, if you are listening, you're listening on Apple or whatnot, feel free to shoot us a you know a review. Say what you, you thought. If, you know, I'm not saying shoot five stars if you think we're a three star podcast. Honestly, send us a three star podcast. Just you know, maybe drop us a review and just keep showing love. And uh, I think on that note, just have a good good one, and we'll catch you on the episode. Uh, 29, if I'm going to be honest, I think episode 29 is going to be real soon. So I think stay strapped up for that. So, yeah. Talk again soon.